Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 67 of the Commando Voice. Today, I speak with the owner of Slick Talk Creative. Please welcome Will Slickers. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Hey, I know I've been saying this on the front of most of my podcasts, but I wanted to mention it again. Um, I'm really trying to start growing the podcast. We passed the year mark a little while ago. And uh, so I need your guys' help to do that. If you guys can share previous episodes or this episode that you really enjoyed with your friends and family, uh, that way other islanders like yourself can hear about it and uh, we can keep growing this podcast. So thank you guys. Also, if you have any questions or you want to reach out to me, let me know about the podcast, what you think about it, uh, email me at voice at kamenocommons.com. So that's the word voice at kamenocommons.com. All right. Now, this episode, I got to speak with Will Slickers, and we actually have a connection a uh, long time ago, and so we actually talk a little bit about that, so you'll get to hear about that. Um, but it was great. It, I love talking to... Um, I mean, I love talking to everyone that I've been talking to, but something about entrepreneurs of hearing about them getting started, uh, not really having connections. You know, I, I run and, and operate the Camino Commons Marketplace, um, but I took over a business from my dad, um, Jeff. And so for me, I'm managing and running a company that was already functioning um, and I have to manage it and maintain it and be a steward of it. But uh, it's a totally different skill set than people like my dad and like Will that have built something from the ground up and then continue to grow new things. Um, it's very exciting to me. I think it's, it's fascinating how they do that and just, um, you know, that how they continually invent and uh, be creative that way. So anyways, uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Will Slickers. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Command of Voice. Today, I'm here with the owner of Slick Talk Creative. Welcome to the podcast, Will Slickers. How are you doing, Brandon? Good to see you. Good. All right. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Will. Yeah. Um, well, I've uh, born and raised on Commando Island, so Islander at heart. Um, and then after high school, graduating in 2013, uh, I moved to Spokane, Washington, uh, I was previously the uh, event marketing manager at Harley-Davidson in Burlington and then um, fell in love with the event side. Um, and so I moved to Spokane and started a chauffeur and event company. Um, sadly, you know, Uber took over and uh, that business was not vital <laughs> anymore. So uh, I, I got out of it pretty quick. But um and my time in Spokane, I was there for about three years. I also started working for a couple of hotels. Um, one, to be specific, was a Marriott part of a autograph, autograph collection, um, Davenport Grand, and that's where I learned my love for hospitality. So um, from there, moved to the Oregon coast. Um, from the Oregon coast, managed a couple other properties and restaurants, started the podcast and uh, what Slick Talk is today. And then moved back, actually, pre-COVID. Um, I quit my day job as a manager in December 27th of 2019 <laughs> to pursue <laughs> the, uh, the, the full-time podcasting gig. And um, from there, uh, I also met my business partners, which we own uh, Stay Lux Vacation Rentals. It's a management company where we manage luxury homes and castles, so to say, uh, the one in Arlington. Wow. And yeah, so yeah, that's a little bit about what I'm currently doing, but... Um, you know, born and raised here, like I said, in Camino. I have five older sisters, a twin brother, and um, a family that's pretty much been all the way from, you know, beginning roots in Stanwood. So, yeah. Okay. Very cool. <clears throat> so, what was it like for you growing up in, on Camino? And um, I didn't realize you had that many siblings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, we, you know, having five older sisters, it's uh, pretty intense, especially when they're much older than you and you're the baby of the family. Um <laughs> But it was great. Uh, growing up in Camino, I do remember lots of uh, like good memories from my neighborhood. I grew up uh, about three miles north, yeah. or not north, uh, south of Elger Bay. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Way yeah, down there. So, so like way south end of the Camino. <laughs> and 
yeah, lots of good memories being outside, playing with friends, neighbors. Um, we, we, the neighborhood I was in was Idlewood. And, um, I remember before they started developing more homes in the neighborhood, we had all these wood trails and Mm -hmm. exciting things, you know, and we, you know, kids, we would grab sticks and be playing lightsabers. Yeah. So (laughs) that was my childhood growing up. And, uh, I, yeah, I loved it. And then of course getting in like middle school, high school, I took the transit a lot because I just had a lot of friends and after school activities. So being here at the Commando Commons is like a flashback to my <laughs> eighth grade, eighth grade days. And then of course you were actually my math tutor for a yeah, while. So a lot that. of listeners, uh, uh, when I was in, well, I think it was eighth grade and freshman year of high school. Yep. No, it was eighth. It was like seventh, eighth grade in middle school and uh i was a little punk that you were tutoring here at the Camino island library <laughs> I, I always wondered like i because i had a math tutor when i was um in i think uh junior high and uh, i actually just ran into him recently as well but um like he was very like structured i felt like structured mm-hmm. um like and he seemed like he knew what he was talking about and i remember when i was in uh i believe i was going to college at that time and your mom approached me about mm-hmm. that and i was like I don't know if I'm the best person. And then we would meet and do stuff. And I was like, I don't know if he ever learned anything from that. <laughs> I just remember lots of good laughs. So I was like, ah, this is going to be a good time because we, we get some stuff done every now and then. But yeah, it was a lot of good time. And then it, that was before you actually got married to Brittany. Yep. And before you had kids. And so, yeah, it was like the whole the whole circle's now back around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Feels like forever ago. It was. Yeah. That was like, what, 10 years? So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. No, that's, that's, um, yeah. And then the woods, have you been, I'm sure you've been back to the area that you grew up. Is it even it's feel the same? so different. <laughs> it's like, it's like that nostalgic feeling when you're driving out to the south end of Camino, you yep. pass Elder Bay store and you Cama beach and like all those other areas. But then like I pulled into the neighborhood one time cause we still have our home, um, there. We don't live there, but we rent it. And I went there to go work mm. on a couple of projects with my dad and it's just totally different. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like the same memories are there, but the whole outline of like, where the houses are and just the roads and the, the trails are gone. And, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's just what, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's cool to see like the development and right. now there's other people having their memories there. And that's where I'm like, okay, like, I guess I'm over it, but it was Thanks still, it was still a good time. Yeah. 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 No, it, it is really, um, it's interesting how, like how much the island has grown yeah. in, in, in that time. And, um, the other thing is the, um, it makes me really happy about like places like Barnum Point and mm-hmm. the Camino State Park that mm-hmm. like you still get that wooded overgrow like overgrown feel and you yeah. can completely get lost in those areas and forget that you're on an island that has exactly. ten thousand people or whatever we have now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like that's a weird thing too. It's like telling people you grew up on an island but you're not on an island. <laughs> like it's it's so hard, but it's so beautiful too. Like yeah, yeah, it's just. Good memories. Lots of good memories. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and yeah, the, like we used to do bike rides and stuff like that mm-hmm. all the time. And, um, I, I don't know, driving around the island, I'm like, man, I can't believe I like bike road or <laughs> all these different parts. I'm like, this is really scary looking. But there wasn't as many cars. It was a lot, you know, less going on. There wasn't as much activity. Yeah. And yeah. No, so, I did the same thing. I was like, I remember I was a little punk and I was riding my bike and I was like on the side of the road where there's barely any room with these wide corners. People uh-huh. like honking at me, like getting off the road. Yeah, I remember those times too. <laughs> I can't believe I, I actually did it from Elder Bay to IHG, the, the, wow. the plaza. I don't, I don't know how I did that. That's terrifying. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a very long bike ride. <laughs> it was horrible. Like I said, hours long. <laughs> oh, very cool. So... Um, so you went to middle school and high school. Did you go to Stanwood High? Yeah, I graduated in 2013, Stanwood okay. High School. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, what'd you do after that? Yeah. So right after that, that's when I uh, got in with Harley Davidson. I stayed, um, in for, I stayed in the area for about like a year, almost till I was 19. And then, um, when, uh, I think, yeah, October 24th. So coming up, um, on my six year mark, I joined the army national guard okay. and, um, from there, um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I went to basic training in January in 2014, and then after I came back, I was here for just a little bit, and then I was off to Spokane okay. and doing all the other adventures that yeah. I did. Yeah. So you you spent about a year at Harley-Davidson then? Yep. Yeah, just about a year. I got started. just I don't know how I got into it other than uh, a buddy was running the food truck in their parking lot, and okay. they were swamped one day, and I was very, I was mi- working very minimally. And, uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll go get a couple, a couple bucks. And so 
went there, helped him out with the food truck, and the owner walked in and saw me working. He's like, who the heck is this kid? Um, he's not permitted to work oh, here, no. but, uh, he kind of just like watched me for a while and I was like, Oh boy, I'm about to get in trouble. <laughs> but then he actually called me like a day or two later and was like, Hey, I liked your work ethic. I want you to come work for me as an event coordinator. And then that turned into marketing and doing that type of management stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, he just really saw my passion for people and took a chance and, hired me as a little punk. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I'll say, I've, yeah, I can say I've, I'm not a punk anymore, but, you know, during that time I probably was. And so, yeah, he, he did that and it was fun. It was a great time. I worked to, you know, learn how to do a little bit of video editing, how to do uh, events, like how to find sponsorships and plan it and set up. And yeah, there's all sorts of cool so, stuff that was going So did you have someone that was uh, working that position already and they were mm-hmm. helping you out then? Um, kind of. She was out um, getting out. She was a real estate lady, so she was um, starting her own brokerage and all sorts of other stuff. But she basically said, here's what I've done. Here are the spreadsheets. This is like my point of contact. She organized everything so nice for me. And then she said, you know, we usually do these type of events every year. This is what we do at the Speedway. Here's this, this, and that. And uh, there you go. <laughs> And pretty much just gave me the keys. And I was like, okay. So figuring it out. And the owner gave me a lot of time, but he also really invested. He, you know, um, did like, uh, I remember like once a week we would listen to a Tony Robbins podcast that he purchased. It was like an exclusive training videos, audio okay. series. Was it the master series? I think it was a master series okay. of some type. It was a while ago. It was an older Tony Robbins thing, but he was just, yeah. hey, hour at lunch. We go listen to it. He would, you know, give us homework and really just took the time to like, wow. yeah, yeah, it was really cool. That's very so, cool. So yeah, taught me a lot of stuff about marketing and event management and a little bit of business. So yeah. So yeah. as far as the, um, marketing then, what were you like, were you, let's see, that's 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Just about. So like what's going on? <laughs> what was marketing looking like for you? Uh, for me, it was really like we were marketing the bikes. So any type of inventory they got, I would take the pictures and the videos and upload it to the website into the Facebook and promote it. And so like I would do voiceover on videos and highlighting the features and why this feature was really cool for this bike in that year. And like uh, certain kinds, of, you know, Harley Davidson stuff. Right. Yeah. So um, doing that. And so it wasn't really much like um, marketing in the sense of sales or anything like that really just promoting what the brand was and what the that dealership was doing Mm -hmm. so then of course taking our events putting them Mm -hmm. online and getting a buildup of attendance and making sure that i was capturing emails and phone numbers and doing contest giveaways and making sure we were keeping these lead forms and giving these lead forms to the sales guys and then really just working as a as a fine-tuned machine so marketing really helped sales sales took over and then you know once they sold bikes, the owner was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And how many, when you do the event planning, was it events at the at the dealership or was it events that you guys would attend? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Uh, we did a lot at the dealership. We do poker nights. We did, you know, um, rides and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then the Skagit Speedway was a big part of uh, what we did. So we would take a trailer um, with a motorcycle strapped in that can't go anywhere. It's really like locked in, but you can test ride it and like learn how to shift and learn how to do these things without it going anywhere. Wow. It's really cool. Oh, that's nice. And then we bring like swag and give away stuff and just talk to the people and cap- try to capture leads for, again, sales. Yeah. So it was like a lead generating type deal. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so then what, what drew you to Spokane? Uh, I actually attended Moody Bible College for about three months and then okay. dropped out. Yeah. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, I was on that certain path in life and then uh, met a couple of really good friends there. Um, and after, you know, college not really being my thing, I'm not that type of learner. I'm not, yep. uh, yeah, I'm very experience based. Mm-hmm. And so um, I dropped out and kept really good contact with my buddies out there. And they, uh, when I got out of basic training, moved back to the area and stuff, um, they were like, hey, what's holding you back from like coming to Spokane? And I said, N- really nothing. It was just never had a reason to, but having good friends really helped. So got a job out there. Um, and then just moved like that, like within a week. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, um, is that where you were working at, uh, Marriott at the Davenport at that point? Yeah. I originally took a contracting gig with a a Vista power utilities, uh, just really inspecting meters. It was just enough to get me an income to get my foot in the door. Right. So I did that for a season and then they let everybody go for the cold weather season because it was an outside job. You Mm -hmm. had to spray meters and go in people's backyards and be really creepy. Uh, so it was like a very seasonal gig. But after that, that's when I um, had the inspiration to do the chauffeur thing because I didn't want to, um, 
I, I liked working for other people, but I also liked the freedom of a contractor, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is really nice. And I was trying to figure out what to do, and I had a newly uh, leased car, and I was like, you know what? I can do this. This looked really cool. The aesthetics and just the whole look of being in a suit and tie was really attractive, and I liked that look, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I did it, and then um, I started doing a wet, uh, wedding planning and event planning out there just because that's what my experience was at Harley. Yeah. I figured might as well take what I know, right? Yeah. And um, it, it went good for a year. We opened up. Um, had a couple of drivers that would help me out every now and then, uh, made a partnership with party buses and stuff like that. It was really cool. Um, had a couple of contract gigs with, uh, WSU and, you know, helping with their formals and, you know, it was really a good, fun base, but like I said, Uber took over and really crushed the market for any <laughs> chauffeuring. So uh, when you started that, was Uber in Spokane yet? Not officially. Okay. Uh, there was a, a talk. I, you know, there's <laughs> lots of people, um, wanting to sign up they were pretty much testing it to see if there was a, a demand okay and then um i remember because i being a chauffeur you have to get all these licenses and inspections and permits yeah. and it's, it's a headache like yeah it really uber did transform that industry mm-hmm. um but there was a lot of talk of people not laying it in because then it would lower that income base for the city right right um but after i think I got into a year, not a year, about six months of doing the show for a full time stuff. And then Uber opened and mm-hmm. then business slowly sped swindled. up. Yeah. yeah. Swindled. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I closed the business actually on the year it opened like the day. Okay. Like a year later on the exact day it opened, it closed. Yeah. Yeah. And so okay. it, was just, it wasn't enough demand and it's too hard to keep up and nobody wants to pay a hundred plus dollars for a driver when they can do it for 30 bucks on an app. That's instant, right. You know, so yeah. it just makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, but you were working in the hotel still. So did you like, yeah. that at all? Or? Yeah. So I just jumped full time into the hotel. Um, okay. I was front desk agent there. Um, I walked in after picking up a couple of clients at the hotel. Uh, I really love the look of it. It's a very grand, it's mm-hmm. literally called it's the grand. It's a nice one. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a very nice property. Um, and I was just like, you know what, this looks like something I can do. I love people. So I figured I'd jump in and the front office manager, I had no hotel experience, hired me on the spot and he and I are actually really good friends today still. Um, and she just gave me an opportunity kind of like the Harley Davidson guy just gave me a shot and invested in me. And he's like, you know what, I can teach you all this stuff about the software and computer in the hotel, but I can't teach you people skills. So I'm glad you have people skills. Let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah. And yeah, I loved it. Never looked back. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So then you were there for how long were you at that the Davenport? About two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and during that time, were you trying other ventures or were you just focused on that? Yeah, I was really dove in deep on that. I did a little bit of like a travel, not consulting, but um, travel booking, like helping people book their vacations. Uh, it was just a side gig. Okay. When you're when you start one business, you can never. I don't think ever look back and be like. I don't ever want to work for myself again. You can't ever be like that. It's like, it's really fun. And it's always we, in the back of your head. Always. Like, you're just always need, thinking of ideas. I, I wonder if this would work. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, you always have ideas. And so when you learn from the first one and it was a fail, like a chauffeuring side, you kind of are always like, okay, what can I do now? What can I do now? What can I do now? And that was just seemed to fit. I was in hotels. Um, so adding airlines and a few other things to it was no biggie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of caused you to leave there eventually then? Yeah, no, I will always and forever love that property and love that, you know, you know team and community there. They gave me a lot. And um, so, but it, I wanted to learn more. I was really hungry and you can only go up you know, and I wanted to grow faster. I was getting, um, I was getting mentorship, but not a lot. And so I wanted, I want a lot more. Yeah. And I'm a young, single, no kid dude. So <laughs> uh, I was like, I remember growing up and going to Seaside, Oregon all the yeah. time. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to go there. And so I did, and uh, I just kind of packed up and gave. I gave about a month's notice at the hotel, found a job at the out on the coast, and um, they had uh, some employee housing. So I was like, perfect, I can figure that out after I get settled in and just figure out the area. <clears throat> and um, so yeah, I started. I moved over in late February, early March, and then um, yeah, I was managing. Uh, well, I started out as a front office agent as well. And then worked up to a supervisor. And then I almost left because of just a few issues. But then I got promoted to uh, the restaurant manager and started working on that. And then and this was with a Marriott as well? No, it was an independent property oh, okay. out in um, 
Cannon Beach. So oh, yeah, cool. working for the Surf Sand Resorts and Wayfair oh, cool. Restaurant. Yeah, yeah. It was really fun. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So then you were working in a restaurant down there. And what kind of happened? And during this time, are you still doing the uh, travel agency thing? Yeah, no, I kind of stopped that when okay. I when I left. It was it was just like I said, side hustle thing. Yeah. Um, so many so many adventures, right? Uh, <laughs> but you know, when I was living in that employee housing, I was really had the entrepreneur itch still. I couldn't get it out and loved the hotel space and never want to like leave the hospitality industry. But I was looking at ways I could be expressive and creative and. Uh, watching a Gary V and Tony Robbins collab on YouTube, uh, they were like, "Yeah, they're like, if you have an idea about anything, you need to make it into a podcast, and it's free." And I was like, "No way! Podcasting is so hard. Like, how can this be free and easy?" Well, they showed me about Anchor. Um, I don't know if you use Anchor, but Anchor is a distrib- distribution platform. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they said, "Get a twenty-dollar mic and just start." just do it. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I created slick talk, the hospitality podcast. And, um, so I was working at the hotel doing the podcast was trying to figure out my sound. You know, I had the intro and the outro all laid out, but I didn't know what kind of style of show I wanted to be. Did I, I was also very self-conscious Did I have enough value to bring to anybody that would listen like, right. Like right. who wants to listen to a guy that's been in the industry for three years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but I did know that I was hungry to learn and I listened to other hotel podcasts and I couldn't find anything that was like catchy and exciting. Like the industry is so unique and so exciting to me. Um, and I couldn't find anything that really replicated that in an audio form. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I had a guest reach out, um, on my show after listening to a few episodes of me just trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. And he was like, Hey man, I really like this one episode. I've been in the industry for 20 years. And I was like, Oh snap. Okay. <laughs> so hearing a 20 year veteran in the industry, liking some content that I put together as a three year veteran, yeah, that threw me off. And I was like, I don't know if this is real. So I looked up the guy, made sure this was all legit. And it was, and I actually still talk to him today. We're working on a bunch of other projects. He started his own podcast, his own business. And we're, good friends now. Um, but he reached out and so then I started the interview style, like what we are doing today. Yeah. And that really took off the episode he and I did together, put me on the map. I say like it really just gave the podcast what it became today. If yeah. That makes sense. Well, and I think something that's, that's what you said there was, um, was looking in industries, you know, uh, speaking of like Gary V and Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. like they're always talking about looking at like the underserved or, really fulfilling a need that you were looking for. Like yeah. if there had been a great hospitality podcast about hotels, you probably would have never started one. Cause yep. you're like, this is great. This yep. is what I wanted. Yeah. I'll listen to it every week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing is that when you think of the hotel industry, it's such a behemoth, but it's also very, it's very, very old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been forever. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not, I guess it's not something that like you really think of as like innovative or mm-hmm. new or something. And the fact that like you entering into it, because you were only three years into it, you were like, man, there's so much to learn and so much to do with it. Yeah. Um, you were looking for the, you had the excitement and the passion behind it to get that going versus people that had been in the industry. They're like, it never changes. It's mm-hmm. the same thing day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you saw that that was the opportunity um, and it was something that you wanted to fill. And yeah, um, well, I was going to say, like, to speak on that um, currently, you know, the, I've been doing the show a little over three years now. And mm-hmm. so, being in the industry now, I've gotten some, you know, some, uh, what's the, what's the, the phrase, the, some wind under my wings or whatever the, some, my feet wet. I've got my feet wet yeah. for sure. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not in, I wouldn't say I'm like a, I'm a veteran. I'm not a 20 year veteran, right? I'm still 25. So I got a lot to go, but, um, giving the, the, the amount of stuff I've done in my career, not the, like the, I, again, I'm not trying to like flatter myself or anything, but like the amount of stuff that I've done, there, there is so much to do and there's so much, um, that the industry can learn from and right. And looking at other industries and kind of like you just saying, and me and that another guest that I was telling you about, um, him and a group of my, uh, other podcaster friends I've met, uh, in the industry, we are forming up because Mm -hmm. we're realizing people that like him that have been in 25 years and another guy that's been in another 25 years, another guy that's been in 40 years that we're teaming up together and realizing, I've been in five years and I've been in, you know, over a hundred years together combined. And we're realizing the same thing that the industry needs some change and needs yeah. some innovation and where can that come from? And we're those seekers. And it's been really cool to see the, the response just from the industry, um, from our networks, our listeners It's it's incredible. And it's just like, okay, 
like you said, if I found something that was like this, I would have probably never started it. Yeah. But finding that there's a gap um, is cool to be a part of the part of the shift. Yeah. That makes sense. So then when you're looking for guests and stuff on the podcast, how does, um, especially when you were starting and stuff, um, like you got someone that was like a 20 year veteran within the hotel industry. And then mm-hmm. as you're, as you're starting to ask new guests, what's kind of your criteria? What are you looking yeah. for? What type of people are you looking to interview? Well, in the beginning, uh, it was a lot of cold emails, like literally just finding anybody and everybody I could find that I thought would be a, a good content creation for the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Any, any type of content I could find, I would have taken it. And then you get those organic ones that would reach out via your website or email or LinkedIn, a lot of LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and, and you would get a lot of those people that are just trying to promote something, right? And so there, it's like a sales pitch that they wanted to do to an audience. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, I was taking anything and everything I could, right? <laughs> so I, I was doing a lot of those episodes and doing a lot of cold emails. I was probably sending 10 emails a day, if not more, just minimum, just racking up emails, finding podcastguests.com info. And, you know, like there's all these other resources, right? Yeah. Um, so doing that. Uh, gave me the credibility, but then once I found something and I was on another podcast uh, that I actually listened to, starting when I was doing my research. Oh, very and cool. It was, yeah, it's called uh, Fuel Hotel Podcast, and um, I was listening to them and I really liked what they're doing. But it was just like you know, it wasn't my style. I liked the content, but I didn't like the sound. Yeah. In the sense of like, I totally get yeah. that. So um, they through them, I don't remember how it started, but somebody reached out to me saying they were a representative for them. They wanted to do a podcast collaboration. And I was shocked because they've been doing it way longer. These are, like I said, veterans. Um, and so I did a segment on their show. I was a hotel manager that was also a podcaster. So they were, they liked that, that they were podcasters in marketing space for hotels, but right. they weren't hotel property based. In the actual yeah. industry. Yeah. yeah. So we did a collaboration and, um, the host of that show said, I've been listening to your show for a while. This was off, off the, the recording, right? Yeah. He said, I've been listening to your show for a while. And, um, you know, at first it was starting to sound a lot like every other podcast I've ever heard. And I was like, Ooh, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like thinking of like the first few episodes that I was doing. I was like, yeah, cause I was copying everything I saw. Like I was just trying to find what was my sound. Right. right. And, um, and then he said, but the moment I heard you geek out about the guest experience and like the team experience and what involves in that, that's when I knew there was something special. And that encouraged me to like, okay, now I know where my sound is going. Like I know my direction. Yeah. I, I don't need to sound like the news podcasters or anybody like that, like reporting what Marriott and Hilton and all these other companies are doing. Right. That had nothing to do with what I had. Yeah. And so um, that's when I really took off and started just crushing the amount of the not, not even the amount just the direction that the show is going and yeah and the type type of content that my audience was looking for yeah yeah very cool and at the um in the beginning how often were you releasing podcasts and stuff? uh once a week so every wednesday at 8 a.m it's been my my ritual okay. that's one thing like for anybody that's ever asked me like oh what's your number one tip for a, a podcaster right it's yep. like be consistent on when you release yep always yep like if you don't have the content find it because yeah. you got to be consistent. And I learned that the hard way. I took breaks, you know, within the first year or two, I had a couple months where I didn't have anything. I was also working full time <laughs> as a manager. So, uh, when you're on salary, you don't get a nine to five, right. clear, you know, so I was yep. working 80 hours a week. And, you know, so there was a couple times, but the moment I figured that out, that's when I was like, okay. And I, I put a lot of stuff on the back burner in the beginning, you know, I had, I had a bunch of emails I never responded to. People wanted to be on the show, even though I didn't publish anything for three months, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, the, the content was there. I just didn't. You just need to act. Right. right? And be, be consistent. Very cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I also want, you mentioned the uh, Stay Lux, right? Is that what yes. it's called? Yes. Um, yeah. How did that, did that come about? I guess going back to your time at Cannon Beach. So yeah. where did you go from there then? Yeah, um, so Cannon Beach, um, unfortunately, there was just a lot of internal workings going on at that property. Uh, I still am really good friends with the owner, though. We're, he's a great mentor. The guy listens to the show regularly. He's really encouraging um, and just really cool dude. But there's some internal workings with management stuff. And so I, I got out of that business uh, specifically. And then I worked at a 70-unit uh, condominium hotel property in Seaside. Okay. It was like a block away from where I worked. It had that nicer like Davenport feel where I could wear a suit and tie. It wasn't casual beach attire, you know? Yep. And uh, I liked that. I really liked that feeling. So I felt more comfortable, more at home being there. And um, 
quickly. I was uh, hired as a supervisor, and then within, I think, six months, I was promoted to the front office uh, management and AGM position. Okay. And um, so I was overseeing the whole guest mm. service department uh, for the whole hotel and also jumped into marketing because that's where they were lacking, and so I naturally took over that. And, um, yeah, did that for the remainder of my time there. But when I – to answer your question about Stay Lux, um, I interviewed – the manager for the Greystone Castle here in Arlington. Okay. And, um, you know, growing up in Stanwood Camino, I was like, all right, there's a castle in my <laughs> backyard. There's a castle? Are you kidding me? Like, in, in Arlington. So, yeah, it was like a 15-minute drive, but that's our backyard, you know? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I have to interview her. Like, I had to – I don't know why. I just, like, I have to get her on the show. And I did. And after the show, um, we caught – we, we talked every day. Literally every day, like there was all sorts of messages and emails going back and forth about industry questions and revenue management and marketing and all these other things that we're talking about. And I was trying to get them as a client. I was like, I want to be your revenue manager. Let me help you. Let me help you. <laughs> and uh, she was like, no, 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 no. Like, but we kept talking and forming a friendship and they had a couple of events go on. And so I got to go to the property and, and view it. And it just made sense that her and our other business partner, Carlin, uh, Emily and Carlin, and we... Um, had weaknesses and strengths that com- that really were compatible for each other. Yeah. And so after a year of knowing each other and talking, we formed Stay Lux, and that is uh, our vacation rental brand. Okay. So we managed the castle and some other properties that we're taking on. Uh, they're like mansion-type style, you know, very luxury, wow. big home-type okay. deals. Um, and that's where I kind of like pivoted out, uh, excuse me, out of the hotel industry. So um, to fast forward, December yeah, early December. Yeah, early December, I decided, okay, I'm going to quit my job. But how do, am I going to pay my bills? Was yeah. the question. So I started really getting into vacation rentals. Like I've been in vacation rentals while in the hotel space mm-hmm. um, through my parents and a few other people that we know, like the doctor, um, Dr. Pope and a few other people that just, you know, that want that extra like income stream, right? Yeah. And so I've been in that and applied what I've learned from hotels into vacation rentals. Um, so when that happened on the show, I pivoted to a vacation rental mastermind series that I created. So okay. I reached out to all the biggest, baddest brands in vacation rentals, companies that were um, creating tech solutions and property software and all this other type of stuff, right? And created a 10-episode series. And I knew that, okay, if I wanted to do podcasting full-time, I have to get sponsors. That was my like one and only source of income. Yep. I was like, all right, this is it. <laughs> um, and I got about 10 grand in sponsorships. And that's what I was like, okay, I have 10 grand in sponsorships. I have X amount of dollars in savings. And my last like paycheck from the hotel will be this much dollars. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I just calculate. I yeah, my, my little, uh, my, uh, what do you call it? Your little acorn. Yeah. And uh, I... I was like, all right, that's more than enough. I will cut off all my spending that doesn't involve, like, you know, my cell phone bill, insurance, and, uh, you know, rent. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I, I took out everything and cut out all that stuff in my life and just like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I made that choice. And then December 27th uh, was my last day at the hotel. Moved right back here to be closer to my partners and, and our properties. And then... Um, the show actually really took off from there. That was like a pivotal point for the podcast. Okay. And uh, so it's fairly recent then that it's really like, yeah, I would say January this year is when it really hit. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's two years, right? Into mm-hmm, it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Two years. It was like often, like I said, I took breaks and there was just a lot of you know life moments that were happening. And yep. so, but when I decided to be consistent and, you know, never turning back. I'm like, this is it. Like I'm going to live, breathe. <laughs> live and, or die. Yeah. Li- yeah. Live or die is a good one. And uh, so that happened and I launched that series. It did really well. Uh, the sponsors continued to want to work with me. Um, and then of course, putting out episodes like that, more people wanted to be on the show and more people wanted to be on the show and more people wanted to be on the show. And it just never stops. Yeah. And so the network kept growing and growing and growing. And then, um, so I moved home. I had my nice little nest egg to figure out how are we going to get our business to start earning revenue um, so that way I don't have to depend on sponsorships if something were to happen and I lost all sponsorships, a.k.a. COVID-19. <laughs> um, you know, that would that would help save. And so uh, that was the goal. And so I went to um, kind of fast forward a little bit, dropped the 10-episode the series, 
and then I got recognized um, for an award, for an industry award. Wow. And yeah, so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm doing this full time. Um, I've only been four months in full time. And uh, so I booked a ticket to London to go to the award show and to go to uh, a conference after the award show. Um, and that day, uh, I say the day, at, no, the day before the award show, uh, the president declared national emergency for no. COVID-19. And I was in London. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get home? <laughs> and I woke up to, I'm not even kidding you, I had over 400 messages on my phone. Texts, phone calls, emails, Instagram, LinkedIn, because wow. everyone knew I was in London. I was yeah. promoting it on the show, so all my listeners were reaching out. Like It was crazy. Wow. And I, it was like 1 a.m. in London, and all I had was... How are you going to get home? Oh my gosh. Are you stuck in London? What can we do? Blah, blah, blah. And people were freaking out and sending me articles saying Trump you know, uh, closes this, the, the country and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my worst nightmare. This is my worst nightmare. <laughs> and I'm in a country where I know nobody other than the people I'm here for this award, for this conference. And... I can't work. Like, there's no way I can work here. Like, they won't, uh, they won't they give won't me a visa. So, yeah. yeah. So, like, how am I going to pay for this hotel? Like, I, like, I was like, how am I going to live? I was like, <laughs> freaking out. So, I go down to the, the front desk lobby and ordered a coffee at 1 a.m. and got my laptop. And then, finally, after getting through all the messages and calling the airport, which was impossible because everyone, everyone was calling was home. <laughs> so, I was on hold for, like, three hours. And then, finally, I get to the end of my messages and I found the one article that was actually accurate. And said, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're allowed back into the country. I was like, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> I was so mad. Cause like, I was almost in the brink of tears. I was like, you guys are telling me I've been up since 1 a.m. Freaking out. Almost about to cry. That I wasn't going to get home. I was going to starve here in London. And uh, I'm able to get back on the plane. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? Whatever. I continued on with my life and there in London for a little bit. And then I got on the plane. I got stuck in Iceland for about 24 hours, but that was no big deal. And then I got home and had to quarantine for two weeks. Okay. So, yeah. That was wow. a, like a weird segue. But yeah, that's just kind of been the craziness of, of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So with that then, how have you kind of pivoted with Slick Creative Talk and Stay Lux and how have all that been going with, with COVID? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And um, to, to really get into the meats and not you know waste any listeners' time is really that um, with... I would say April, beginning April timeframe, um, all sponsors were done. They said, hey, unfortunately, we don't have the marketing budget. Obviously, nobody was making money in the right. beginning. Um, and so I was like, okay, that makes sense and totally respectable. All my guests that I had lined up that week canceled, trying to save their own business, right? Yeah. Understandable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. April, I went silent for a month. COVID was so new. COVID, uh, you know, a lot, we lost everything. I didn't, I knew the show was going to continue, but I just didn't know when. Yeah. So, um, was silent for a month, but April 5th, I got activated for, uh, the army national guard. So, okay. yeah, I got called up to do the COVID, uh, test sites in Washington. And so that was nice because that was income. Yeah. So, um, continued, uh, to, you know, stay in contact with the industry and other things, but really people were just trying to figure out what the heck is going on. How right. do we handle this? How do we pivot? And, uh, me and my business partners were really thankful because, um, un- unfortunately we didn't have all the properties up and ready. A lot of our properties are still under rehab and construction. And okay. so nothing was making money at that time. Like okay. we only have our castle property and uh, it took a hit financially because a lot of people canceled. Right. But we were able to save some and keep the you know place afloat. So yeah. that was nice. Um, to get back into it. Um, so doing the national guard stuff was giving me income. It was giving me limited time, but <clears throat> still enough time to start getting the show back together. And then I said there was, I was like a light flip or a light switch turned on. It was when everybody like somehow figured out their pivot and started getting back on their feet, right? Yeah. All these other businesses. And that's when the emails and the phone calls and the LinkedIn messages and everything came back and people were starting to thrive again, kind of okay. figure out this new normal. And um, from there, really just shifted producing as much content as I could. Okay. Getting back out there and starting producing the... Um, Stay Lux side, we were prepared to like, okay, we're going to put this on a halt right now. Like nobody's buying, nobody's wanting to re- do rent, uh, renovations and stuff like that. Right. So we were okay with that. And so I was just focused on getting the show's sponsorships again and trying to pretty much back to day one, you know? Yeah. 
And so that was great. But the real pivot came uh, just recently. You know, we've all sort of been putting out this content. Uh, we've all been figuring out how to function in the hotel space. How do you properly clean for COVID-19? Right. How do you properly keep a social distance? What type of regulations? Obviously, some stuff was out of control. Certain governments or, um, you know, states and governors. I mean, counties. Yeah, counties. Yeah. yeah. So there's all that that plays into it. But a lot that we're afloat we're starting to get creative. Now, this is where you were talking about, you know, the people have been in 20 years. This is how we've been doing it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, that was no longer <laughs> an excuse, right? Yeah. So now we're looking out to apply in. And so that's when the content has just been insane. And we're all learning this crazy new ways of how to operate in business. And what is, you know, what are the new outcomes are going to be? How are people going to travel? How are people going to feel safe? How are we going to communicate that we're safe? Yeah. Um, so that's really where the big pivot came. And so a lot of us, um, you know, we've been putting content together. Um, but to really answer the question, uh, a couple of hospitality podcasters and myself teamed up. So we're forming a group to pretty much give all these resources that we interview people on our show and all these companies are putting out this great stuff. We're literally just going to start putting it out for free and just start building a community, right? Yeah. That's really reliant on growth and, and looking at other industries. How can we change the way that we've been thinking and operating that is, right. is profitable and sustainable. Right. So that's been like a really fun pivot and being a, you know, when you're in the beginning, when you're leading the charge on that type of stuff, yeah, it, it's incredible. The outcome because it's, yeah, I'm not getting paid for every meeting I take or for whatever, but you are getting that recognition. So Slick Talk has now become more accredited and becoming more sought out and, you know, all these other things, right? Yeah. So it's a long game. It's a long yeah. game for sure. But again, being on orders, I was saving all my money. I was <laughs> literally nest egging everything and building up that acorn of funds to then get off orders, uh, which I did in August. Um, so with that, there's been a, uh, I think we learned this in the 2008 crisis too, right? Um, a lot of people pivoted and created out of crisis, right? There's right. a lot of innovation done when people don't know what's going on. There's uncertainty. Right. Um, so that is where I've jumped on that train as well with COVID-19. We've all figured, okay, this is going to be the birth age of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So how can we jump on? And I've partnered with a lot of people, a lot of um, platforms and people that are starting to think outside the box and, like a, one thing that we're talking about, hotels are no longer going to build up, right? They're no longer going to stack rooms and floors on top of each other. They're going to go horizontal and wide. Social distance. People don't want to be in a lobby anymore. They don't want keys anymore. So how are we going to innovate? Well, keypads and Bluetooth and all these other things are going to separate. It's going to take a little bit of human connection out of the equation. Right. But it's going to be a lot simpler transaction to then where the community base does come into more effect. There's more yeah. pleasure. There's more experience. There's more uh, excitement than there is uh, the lack of patience when it comes to checking in and waiting in a line. Yeah. Right? That's always the worst thing is having to wait to get your keys when it, right. you should just be able to get it instantly. Yeah. Um, so there's just been a lot of cool stuff like that coming out. And nice. So, yeah, I'm just really excited. Very cool. And then as far as, like, the hotels and stuff, because I know a lot of um, – hotels and stuff are still like I, I know some people that are that work with hotels mm -hmm. or sales and marketing and they're like you know maybe on the the b2c level mm -hmm. on the to the consumer level yeah like they're starting to see a little bit coming back but like yeah. hotels make a lot of their money with the like the big business groups the conferences the, yeah like how are they how have you seen in the industry them pivot or anything with that? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. I actually have a couple of episodes coming out based on that okay. with uh, a couple of hotels in Chicago and they're leading the example in this. And so, um, we're seeing a big pickup in staycations, right? So people or places like Camino Island mm -hmm. should be thriving because now people are seeing the beauty in their local neighborhood a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. They're tired of being in home. They're wanting to go out. So a lot of Seattle people coming this way. Right. A lot of people out of Portland going outside of Portland to wineries and local valleys and coastal places, yeah. right? So they're starting to really experience their local home, their state, their neighborhood, whatever. Right. Um, which is really cool. So we're seeing that. But then the um, event spaces, so what they're doing is they're pivoting, okay, can we structurally turn off a couple of rooms online in a creative strategic way. So let's say you have 1200 rooms in one hotel, which is a lot. 
Yeah. Um, let's take off, you know, five rooms here, five rooms there, five rooms there, and spread out the open rooms that we can book. So it gives guests the opportunity to not cross path as much. Yeah. You're not going to have 20 people in one hallway. You're going to yep. have five. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Then, of course, a one exciting way that I would pre-COVID would never work. It costs way too much money for a hotel to do. It's not practical, and it has never actually been a sustainable business, like model at all. But one hotel in Chicago has got about, I think, 300 to 400 rooms. Um, they're using their rooms for day-use office. So they're renting them out as a day rate. Oh, wow. Which they'd never done before and yeah. never succeeded when people have tried. Yeah. Um, but people are just getting out of their house. They need to get away from the kids or yeah. from whatever is going on at home uh, to get productive work done. Right. So they're doing day rates. And then what usually happens, okay, I got a ton of work done in my room and I only got it for 60 bucks. Great. I'm going to stay overnight. And they then book that night for that hotel. Oh. And they keep the room. And so now these hotels are not generating... they're getting the hundred normally dollars that they would have gotten per night. And so they're finding new ways to innovate and then also renting out floors. So they also have the event space. Some hotels are doing virtual hybrid meetings. So Mm -hmm. you can have, let's say um, this one hotel in Chicago can have 50 people in a room max. That's what the state and city says is okay. Yeah. Cool. They do that. They fill up that 50 with whatever people, business, whatever want to do. But then they have their aviation, or not aviation, their, um, what's that, their tech team, the audiovisual yep. team. Um, they have them then set up the virtual side okay. where their other colleagues can attend from home or yep. from a hotel room or wherever. Yeah. Exactly. So they're doing hybrid meetings. Okay. And being really um, successful, actually, at the same time. Yeah. So it's switching. And then they're also renting out whole floors. So they're turning the day use rooms, you know, that people are booking for 60 bucks. They're selling the whole floor to a, a business where they can have their colleagues work in, in, in their own rooms. Oh, wow. Okay. And use it as an office space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because um, from what I've heard, places like WeWork, like collaborative workspaces, mm-hmm. especially like big ones, mm-hmm. are really struggling right now because like, yeah. people don't want to be in a big open room with everybody. Yeah. Um, and it kind of seems like maybe... The people that were going there are now going to these hotels or going yeah. to other places where... Yeah, because like you're in the same building, but you're pretty much just looking at your own, your, own, your own cubicle that's secluded and yeah. don't have to worry about other people coming in and breathing and touching stuff. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I had no idea that that was going on. I didn't either <laughs> until uh, I partnered up with this uh, marketing agency that has, where does a lot of work for hotels, and they were like, hey, this person would be a great guest, oh, and then here's 20 other clients that are probably the same. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they're great episodes. They're great people. They're really creative. Um, and it's really cool to see like the hotel industry start getting entrepreneurial, you know, yeah. there that's one guy. He said, he's like, I've never been an entrepreneur in my life. I've been in hotels for 16, uh, 16 plus years. And I've never wanted to start a business or like do this. Yeah. Innovative. And he's like, it's really making me do that. And I love it. Like, yeah, I feel like an entrepreneur. We're creating something new and different. Yeah. It's really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, so then as far as your, uh, this is kind of touching back on guests though, yeah. uh, on the podcast, like, do you go as far down the chain as like, you know, office manager, stuff like that mm-hmm. of hotels and then all the way up to like owners of multiple yeah. hotel places? Yeah. And pretty much anybody that has like some value or knowledge. Cause like nothing's cookie cutter. We have cookie cutter properties for sure. Right. You think of one brand there. If you stay at a courtyard, yeah, the most courtyards courtyards are the same, yeah. right? They look exactly the same. Yeah, but you can find people that are doing different things, right? Yeah, and so yeah, I've had people that have been brand new in the industry um, tell me their experiences and talk about this on the show, or again, like CEOs and founders of tech companies and properties and all sorts of stuff. So it's really just a vast network, and um, what's, what I really like is that since I've worked in uh, vacation rentals, restaurants, and hotels. Mm-hmm. I have multiple guests from all segments of hospitality. Yeah. And we're all learning. And it's just an ongoing conversation, ongoing learning. It's just, yeah, it's a, I talk to more people uh, that I've, you know, through the podcast, like I talk to more people globally than I do anywhere local. Yeah. Like I, all my friends from high school are gone or yeah. like I have one <laughs> friend here who I'll go see every now and then, but I talk to these people more than anybody else. And, yeah. and it's really become like a, just a global community. 
Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. And it, I think it's interesting, too, um, when you dive deep into industries mm-hmm. like hospitality or um, restaurants or, like, I have a friend in aviation. Like, yeah. Um, he's like, it's funny how small the actual, like, the core people are. Yeah. And you so you really start getting to know, like, this community. But, like, you're like, no, there's, like, a hand. You kind of can get a handhold on, like, the people. It's a huge industry, but like you said, the core people, it's a small group. And yeah. like, so me and this group of podcasters are teaming up. We're like, hey, we have like 50 guests that have been on each other's show. Like, we've all had the same person. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's really small, but they're all over the world. Yeah. And like Switzerland and Australia and London and Canada and all these places. You're like, small world, but huge industry. Yeah. And so it's just really cool to see come together. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. All right. And then um, what do you see the future of uh, Slick Talk Creative um, and Stalux as well? Yeah, the future, um, like I said, there, there's, some, there's some cool moments coming up. Uh, the, the team up is huge. Um, but really, I've seen a need for um, marketing, especially now. Like, right, how, how can we, at a comfortable price point for businesses right now, um, find a way to still produce quality graphics and websites yep. and other things like that. So I've uh, formed a partnership, a new business, um, forming a, a media agency. So we have about 30 graphic designers and web developers. Wow. Yeah. So that's been pretty <laughs> cool. Um, so that's one pivot. It's just there's a need for it at a price point that needs to be comfortable for the industry uh, and for any other business right now, especially, yeah. you know, I don't you know there's other industries that are really thriving, um, but some are not. And right. they just but they still need that quality work. So that's been uh, one big pivot. Uh, forming this podcast group of uh, community like-minded people is a huge pivot. There's a lot more into it than what I'm saying, really. It's uh, five podcasters in five different segments of hospitality, but really collaborating and bringing our networks together and forming an online forum and all sorts of other stuff. Okay. So that will be able to be monetized, and, yeah, there's a lot going into that. And then, of course, there's another show spinoff. I can't give out any details, really, but... Excuse me. Um, there's another show spinoff um, coming to the show that will be partnered with some major names. And um, yeah, I Very cool. think there's probably a few more things. <laughs> oh, I'm becoming an, a, an advisor for a tree house company that is building tree house for vacation rentals and hotels. Wow. So like they're called tree walkers. Okay. Um, and they literally build these tree house buildings. Like, it's, yeah more luxury and cool than, than what I make it sound like. But yeah. um, they're really taking the environmentally safe and eco-friendly sustainable model and applying it to like a luxury feel, right? Yeah. So um, it's really cool to see them um, building out this like franchise build model and um, every time you, you book a stay, you can plant a tree and do all these like cool <laughs> things that are just wow. really, yeah, yeah, yeah like really cool. creative. And so, yeah, just a lot of, uh, a lot of little pivots yeah. going on. Very cool. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in the when it comes to marketing and stuff like that, um, I, I was just talking to well, I've talked to a few people now, but like w- when it comes to marketing, like it's always do more and do high quality and do like do yeah. everything at top level. Mm-hmm. But I was just talking with some colleagues and it's like, yeah, but the problem is it can take if you're trying to make a really good post with good creative and a good photo and like all this stuff, it can take you a day to do a post that you're going to post one time. Mm-hmm. You're like, that is a exactly. lot of work, yeah. and then you still have to run your business. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a full-time job in itself. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, a lot of people expect, and this is why I've learned a lot too, especially in the beginning of the podcast, is a lot of people expect an ROI from every marketing post, post they do. Yeah. That is a bad mindset to get in because <laughs> there's, there's no way you can yeah. get a, an ROI on everything. So right. I've had people on the show that have sponsored, and you know maybe they get 100 plus people that sign up for their product or maybe they get it one, but they, uh, they expect that you're going to get an ROI on everything you do and create, um, is, is kind of ridiculous. And yeah. so that's where we kind of come to the point of, well, this is what we can do for you. It's going to cost us much, but at the same time, it's, it's going to give you consistency and that's what, that's where you'll see the ROI. You may yeah. not see it from every post, but when you're consistent in producing a quality work, then that's when you'll start to see the ROI. It's more of a long-term game and, um, expect like, it's like me expecting that one podcast is going to shoot me through the roof and I'm going to become Joe Rogan, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's consistency over time. And I think yeah. that's where uh, getting that mindset of not expecting an ROI on everything that you do. Yeah. Um, 
some things you you live and learn, and then others really do take off for you. So it's just right. kind of putting your toe in every water. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think with the when it comes to marketing and stuff, I think it is that um, we have these things, we've got these tools and stuff like that that allow us to um, almost buy into like we can see the ROI because we can put a Facebook post out mm-hmm. there, we can put money towards it, and we can see how many sales did we get. So what was our ROI? Yeah, but marketing in in general, like especially from the old days, like it wasn't an ROI game. No. It was a you throw something way out there on the TV, you see an ad, you have you don't have a great idea of what how many people bought because of that ad yeah. versus a billboard versus a marketing campaign versus exactly. whatever you're doing. Um, and it really does bring back like the marketing is the is the the daily task. It's the exercise. It's mm-hmm. the you have to do it all the time to keep it consistent and keep it going. But at the same time, like it's not something that you know, 10 days in, you're going to be like, all right, cool. Yep. I can really see something. I like, spent a hundred bucks and I made a thousand. Yeah. yeah. I was like, how many times have you seen a Charmin ultra ad yeah. and be like, I'm going to go buy toilet paper right now. That was so great. I'm going to go buy it. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> but they're consistent on their TV ads or their YouTube ads or whatever. Yeah. That when you're going through Costco and on your QFC list or whatever, you see Charmin ultra and you're like, oh yeah, boom. Yep. That's where the ROI is. It's not... Uh, you know, I'm gonna. Oh man, that toilet paper looks so good right now. <laughs> I gotta go buy it. You know, that's this is not how it works. That's not how the consumer mind is. It's yep. just not how. Yeah, you you get it. So yeah. no, that's very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. The first one is: What purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? See, I struggled with this one. <laughs> like, I'm like, man, I have spent way more than that on a lot of stuff. But um, I would say. Uh, don't don't judge me too much, but I actually have it with me today. It's my uh, uh, thermos, it's just a little thermos. It's uh, from a resort in Cancun. I don't know why I love it so much, but it's just a nice little peace of mind. It's kind of just it puts me into a place of like thinking of memories in Cancun and Mexico and traveling and hospitality and just uh, I love coffee too. So coming here to work and then yep. grabbing a cup of coffee. Just a, it's a really great purchase. It's well worth it. Nice. I don't know why I'm so infatuated with a mug, but that's great. <laughs> it works. Very cool. Um, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like here? Instantly, I would say pick them up from the airport. Probably if they're flying. If they're not, um, if they're driving in, are they flying or are they driving? That's a question. <laughs> they're they're flying in. Okay, they're, they're visiting flying. from out of state. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So I would pick them up from the airport immediately drive them uh, to Stanwood. You know, screw everything else on the way. <laughs> We're just going to drive straight here, um, drop off our stuff. I would, honestly, I haven't gone to Baker Lake in forever. And yeah. so I'm thinking, I've been like thinking about, okay, it would be really cool to go hiking. It's or, great up there. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, I just have a lot of good memories. So I'd probably take them to Baker Lake. Um, I really do like like i said i was gone for five years right so i didn't see the building of Camano commons and like what's going on here in this area but i really like it like it's really comfortable so i'm like okay bring them out this way maybe we can do a little tour of Camano, yep that type of stuff um and I'm trying to think of other things but yeah a lot of our outdoor activities really just getting out and yeah you know especially because we're all cooped up all the time now yep. so i think uh outdoor is the way to go right yeah very good um, who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Okay, so I was also struggling with this one. I was <laughs> like, I like, I was like, I love Dr. Pope. He's but he's been on the podcast. Uh, I love the Crawfords, but they've been on the podcast. <laughs> and uh, it's like think of other people in the in the, the community. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to keep this relatable to the topic of hospitality. Yeah. And so I looked up Discover Stanwood. Camino, yeah, and I saw the hotel accommodations page, and I saw one that I actually never heard of or knew was here. So the Tom and Brenda at Sea Mist Waterfront Inn, that is what I would love to hear and see on the podcast. Very cool. All right, and then lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Camino Island, right as you're driving on, what would that say? Oh, crap. <laughs> This gets a lot of people, don't worry. Yeah. Um, get coffee. I love coffee. So the fact that we're here at Camino Island Coffee Roast, I'm like, yeah, I would just get a coffee. Do something, right. like, something along those lines, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, it's been a great pleasure. It's a, a space that we're both very familiar with. So yeah. it's like uh, 
yeah, it's like nothing ever changes. Really, it's <laughs> like this is our day to day life. <laughs> Very cool. All right, and Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Will Slickers for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to KamenoCommons.com slash EP67. That's KamenoCommons.com slash EP67. Thanks for listening and see you next time.